Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it's Albert. We got a great show coming for you this week. It is a special Cam Newton edition of the MMQB podcast with Albert Breer. Gretchen and I will break things down in the takeaways. We've got two great guests to look at this from two very different angles. And then, after all of that, we'll get to all your questions, as we always do, in the six-pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. I'd actually planned on this being sort of a going-away podcast, maybe setting up vacation podcast, looking forward to the Break in the NFL Calendar podcast with a look ahead at Training Camp podcast. But that is not what this podcast is going to be, the final MMQB podcast with Albert Breer before the annual summer break. This is going to be the Cam Newton podcast. And so we're going to try to break things down with our guests. All things Cam. And I think you guys are really going to like the way we're going to do this. It's sort of going to be a 360 view who Cam is, what his fit is in New England. And so we're going to start with the takeaways. Only this week, all the takeaways. And this is going to be a little adjustment here, Gresh. The little adjustment is going to be that we are going to do every takeaway on the Cam Newton signing in New England. As usual, in to help us out with the takeaways from WPRO and Providence, my good friend Andy Gresh. Gresh, what's happening? Oh, man, what a week uh, it's already been up here in New England, right? Because we know the baseball's on the way back. We know the basketball's on the way back. And then 
it was, all right, let's trump all that news when old <laughs> Bill B. Hoodsworth brings in Cam Newton, or at least it's reported that Cam Newton is coming in. I know we haven't officially heard yeah. from the hoodie just yet. And so we're, we're, we're sitting here on Tuesday afternoon. I actually checked in on that. They're still working out the language. No reason to think it doesn't get done. But the contract's not signed yet. Um, and you know, that'll, that'll be done in time. The, the, the language part of it, I'm sure has to do with his incentives and everything else. I'm which sure is Richard, of, I, I'm sure Richard Sherman's hard at work on it. <laughs> yeah. So they're working through all of that. And, uh, and so, yeah, my, we're going to do our five takeaways and Gresh, my first takeaway, this is a typical Bill Belichick move and he buys on guys when their stock is low. He won't buy on veteran players very often when the stock is high. We've seen that a couple times where they've gone in on on a guy like a Stefan Gilmore back in the day in Adelius Thomas. But generally, they don't buy high on veterans. They buy low on veterans. And this is a typical Patriot buying low on a guy who's a freakish talent when his stock is at its lowest type of move. And you want to go through the years. There have been examples of that working worked with Randy Moss. It worked with Darrell Rivas, who was still expensive, but was coming off the ACL. Um, it worked with Corey Dillon, if you want to go further back than that. It didn't work with Ocho Cinco. It didn't work with Albert Hainsworth. And so it's not like every one of these works, Gresh, but this is a textbook New England move. It's waiting the market out. And I think part of the reason why the timing played out the way that it played out is like Cam had to come to a comfort level with, okay, this is what it is. Um, but it was sort of letting the player come back to you, letting the player know you're interested, and then letting the player come back to you. Bill Belichick is notorious for telling guys like, oh, Julian Edelman at one point, sure, go see what the market will give you and then come back to me. He, he has an uncanny read on the market, I think, on the whole. And again, to your point, he's not perfect. But there's a little luck involved here, right? Because nobody felt froggy or felt, okay, if I can't bring Cam Newton in for a workout, I can sit and wait it out, so to speak. If I need a backup, I can wait until it's closer to camp or when things are open so that I can actually poke and prod and kick the tires on the guy and see what kind of shape that he's in. And by the way, there's the mental shape that Cam Newton needs to be in as well because if he is a backup, he's got to be willing to accept that role because I don't think there was going to be a team that said you can walk in and be the starting quarterback, but this might be the only situation in the NFL where Cam Newton could take a coach at his word that he would have an opportunity to come in and win this job. And I'm not calling other coaches liars, but guys are good at also knowing, okay, half of the teams in the league have an entrenched starter. Maybe mm -hmm. a third of the other teams have a young guy that they like. Realistically, where can I go that I'm going to have a chance to play? As it turned out, it was only New England. And to your point, Bert, about Cam sort of looking around and going, all right, well, this is the best I got. Then let me go stick it to people. And that YouTube video was yeah. clearly the, that, the message he was sending. Well, I don't think he was like I don't think he's going to be the backup in New England. I think he's either going to be the star I think he's either going to be the starter or he's not going to be on the team. Like if if and we're going to get to this, but if Jared Stidham were to beat him out, I don't think Cam stays in the roster. I think he's probably he's probably let go at the end of training camp. I'm not saying that's likely, but I just don't think it's I I don't think you keep him on your team as as the backup. I I would say this. I I think some of the the some of the takes on this 
like have ignored reality or were maybe made by people that aren't aware of reality here. And I think Cam's availability, it's just like a lot of things had to happen this way, right? Mm-hmm. So like people have criticized, let's take the Bears. People have criticized the Bears. Well, when the Bears traded for Nick Foles, Cam Newton wasn't a free agent. Cam Newton was still on the Panthers roster. He was still making, I think he was still slated to make, I think it was $17 million for this year. And so if you're the Bears, you would have to trade for him. You'd have to give him, you'd have to you know, be comfortable with paying him that number because at that point he wasn't willing to take a pay cut. And then, you know, he would have to come in with the, like, okay, I'm comfortable competing with Mitch Trubisky. Like, is he going to come in in March, right? Like, this isn't now. This is March. Is he coming in in March when he's still trying to figure out what his options are, like, to compete with Mitch Trubisky? My chances, he says, hell, my, 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 my feeling, he says hell no to that. At that mm-hmm. point, he's still got hope, right, that he's going to have a starting job somewhere because that's what he's always been. He's always been a starter. He was released on March 25th. And if you guys, and I know the comparison to Chase Daniels has been made too. By the time you got to March 25th, so much of the cap space across the league had dried up. So many of the starting jobs had dried up. The Panthers' effort to trade him from the beginning of free agency to March 25th basically like it basically put Cam in a situation where he, he was going to have to be creative if he was going to find a starting job because most of the cap space, most of the starting jobs at that point were spoken for. And you can look at what happened after then. What did Andy Dalton do? Like a deal like $1 million plus incentive. Jameis Winston, mm-hmm. like near the league minimum plus incentives. Almost every quarterback deal that was done after Cam Newton was cut was done with was was like looked almost exactly like Cam's deal, and so I don't know. I mean, like I look at this and I'm like, like just it, it's it's just a product of like just a weird year. Like that's why Cam couldn't get it. That's like his health played into it because he couldn't go take a physical places. The quarterback market was different different than it's ever been. I just I don't know. I think so much of this was circumstantial, and that's like such a perfect way to look at. Like Bill just reading the market saying, if I wait, the opportunity is going to be there. And it's Cam coming mentally to a place where it's like, damn, I'm not going to do better than that. Because realistically, there were three places where he was going to have a legitimate chance to compete without there being like without there being an injury, right? To me, it was Jacksonville with Gardner Minshew. It was Denver mm-hmm. maybe with Drew Locke. And then it was New England. Every other starting job in the NFL, I'm sorry, like a team just wasn't going to like hand him the opportunity to start. So it was very few opportunities, like legitimate opportunities where a team was going to give him an opportunity to start. And then the market just going the way that it did. And, and that's where I kind of jabbed to Richard Sherman a little bit, but you know, that's a part of understanding the business of the NFL and hell that guy went through it too, in terms of yeah. an injury laden contract. And I understand the essence of what he was saying because when you read or see the name Cam Newton on the marquee, normally that gets people fired up. And if you're a New England Patriots fan, you should be excited for the name on the marquee, but maybe still a little skeptical about what the performance might be from Cam. Right, right. And so that's how we'll go into takeaway number two. Like, I think this is going to be good for Cam. I, I really think, like, this is... I mean, look, like ideally would he have gotten the, like and it's funny, I'm going to bring up this name as the guy who replaced him. Ideally, do you get the sort of opportunity that Teddy Bridgewater got where you're going and making over $20 million a year somewhere on a multi-year deal? Yeah, sure. That would be ideal. 
I think I think that was the only quarterback situation in the league that got turned over that way. Uh, I might be missing one, and I and I can't like you know like, like I'm racking my brain. I can't think of another one. Is there another one? I don't think so. I think every other job was either an incumbent's coming back, of a Brady, of course. Um, you know, right? But, that, but, right. He's Brady going, part and parcel. Of Brady course. going to Tampa, right? But but I know Brady was above Cam on the Buccaneers list, so that one wasn't happening for him either. Like I just I'm looking at every team, there isn't one that jumps out. I mean, it was either you know it's the Dolphins drafting Tua, the Bengals drafting Burrow, or like you know, or there's an incumbent there that was going to be the starter going in. And so you know, given the circumstances where there wasn't like a clear cut job open, I think this is fantastic for Cam. He gets a chance to go in, get coached by Bill get coached by Josh and how many millionaires have the Patriots made? Like how many, how many guys have gone through there and either got paid by new England or like played their nuts off and wound up getting a better deal somewhere else as a result. It's happened over and over and over again. And at the quarterback spot too, when you think about it, yeah, Jacoby Brissett right now, I know a little different. You can't, but he still because got he was paid. traded there. He did. He still got paid. Garoppolo got paid. Matt Castle, Castle got paid. There were a bunch of guys who got the old rub or the stink of Brady on them and Belichick on them, and it turned into millions of dollars. And here's my issue with Cam right now, just in terms of the performance end, Bert. Uh-huh. And for 20 years, we have watched this football team operate with a certain kind of offense that would morph to the talent. Early on, they didn't trust Brady. They threw the ball sideways. Then they started to trust him a little bit more, and we saw that they thought you could just go to 1-800-dial-a-wide-receiver, find one off the street, and for a period of time, Brady was pretty good at doing that. Then they went to the high-powered offense with Randy Moss. Then it was the two-tight offense with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. And then, you know, I really couldn't speak to what it sort of morphed into uh, post-Gronk because we only really saw it for a year. It then really just became – the Gronk offense. But what is it going to morph into with Cam Newton? Because Cam Newton's not going to run what Tom Brady did. And that's mm-hmm. my disconnect here is what are the plans that they have offensively for changing this team? They're loaded at running back. Two mm-hmm. years ago with Gronk, they had maybe the best power running game in the NFL. Are they right. going to go back to that and then so- work Cam Newton off of that? Bert, that, that's why for me – I'm hesitant to say, wow, this is going to work and it's really going to be a home run because I'm having a hard time conceptualizing what they're going to do offensively here without Tom Brady. Okay, so we'll move on because we've established this is good for Cam. You'd agree with that, right? Like, this oh, yeah, is like, yeah. There's, this, it was a no-brainer for him. This is a great move for Cam. Takeaway number three, this is good for the Patriots and for a couple different reasons. And we'll start with the first one, which will hit on what you're talking about. And I'm going to go back a couple of years, right? 2018, the Patriots are evaluating Lamar Jackson. Do you know what their evaluation was? I I heard it was positive, but I don't know if it was glowing. Special athlete, special player. If we're going to draft him, we have to flip who we are offensively. Not just what we're doing. We have to flip who we are offensively upside down. Okay? So the fact that it became a discussion point. Now, they didn't wind up drafting him. They had a shot to. They didn't. but the fact that they were discussing that puts them in that same category the Ravens were in. The Ravens had that discussion and wound up drafting him. But that was a discussion point in the room for the Patriots the same way it was for the Ravens. 
do we do this now, right? And they've had a little taste of it too. They had to change some things for Jimmy Garoppolo. And if you remember, on three days' notice, they did for Jacoby Brissett. They changed the offense for Jacoby Brissett. Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt on a Sunday. On that Thursday night against Houston, you remember that, Gresh. They were yep. basically running the single wing. Mm-hmm. And, they, and that, to me, was like Josh McDaniels flexing to some degree, you know? Like, hey, I can do this. I've got this tool in my toolbox. Like, we can work with this. And so I think, like, from a football standpoint, like, I think Josh and Bill may be excited about this, Gresh. Like, I really do. Like, I think like that there, I, I think there might be some level – I think there might be some level of excitement there. Like, and I'm sorry about the phone calling in. I'll put the do not disturb on right now. I like that. How many people are going to be at Albert Breer screaming about the phone? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I, I like, like, I think that there is like that mad scientist thing where I think for Josh and Bill, this might be like, this might invigorate them a little bit because they're going to have to do things differently with Cam. Now, let me add a layer to what you're talking about. And even though I was like, okay, where are they going and mixing Cam into all of that? Bill Belichick has been the defensive coordinator here really the last two years. Right. So has Bill also had an awakening as a defensive mind, realizing how the running quarterbacks stress what he has to do defensively to slow them down? And has he, to your point, Bert, been compiling notes and saying, here's how you stop it, or more importantly, Here's what I would do with it if I were to incorporate it into this New England offense. And there you go. I think it we with right. Brady, when he first sat with him, remember he flipped the board and drew it differently so that he taught him mm-hmm. differently. I wonder if the beautiful mind of Belichick has been taking notes for two years on the running quarterbacks and now is about to combine it with Josh. And to your point, completely flip this thing on its ear. So here's what I'm thinking, okay? If you have a great defense, and maybe they're de- like they lost some guys, they lost Van Noy, they lost Collins, so they're not quite what they were last. But they're st- they should still be should be really good on defense, right? Yeah. The best thing for a good defense is a strong running game. That's the way you shorten games. That's the way you protect your defense, right? So think about this too. One of the things that they did a couple of years ago and won a Super Bowl doing it this way, they drafted a running back in the first round. They drafted a tackle in the first round. They had a fullback on the roster. They've got a fullback on the roster now. How do you combat defenses that are built to deal with the Patrick Mahomes offenses of the world, right? So if if you've got a league full of defenses that are built to combat, again, Patrick Mahomes, what are you going to have? 250-pound defensive ends who can get after the passer, 220-pound linebackers who can cover, smaller safeties who can come down in the slot and take care of a receiver, right? So what's the zig to that zag? We saw it in Baltimore last year, right? So what did Baltimore do? And you can go right down the line there. This is what I love about the Ravens, what the Ravens did. Three tight ends, right? How do you help your quarterback get fast receivers? They draft Hollywood Brown and Miles Boykin, take those guys out of the box. What was one of the ways that defenses dealt with Lamar Jackson? The Chargers put seven DBs in the field to deal with his speed. You know what we're going to do? We're going to sign Mark Ingram. Try tackling Mark Ingram with your 215-pound mm-hmm. safety playing at linebacker. So the Ravens sort of pulled it off last year where they were zigging where everybody else was zagging, right? Like everybody's getting smaller on defense. We're going to get tougher and more physical, and we're going to run your ass over. What better, like, what better player to do that with than Cam if that's the plan? Right, if like, that is right, and it makes sense, Bert, because if you're trying to win your division, if you're the Jets and the Bills and the Dolphins, 
you've been building a defense to try to stop New England. And if they all of a sudden pivot, you're not necessarily prepared for that. So I agree with you. And, you know, Belichick and Harbaugh, they're kind of of that same mindset too. But I think this allows them to middle it. They don't have to completely scrap the passing offense, but they can add the elements of the power run with the quarterback that balances the offense out. So every time Rex Burkhead is in the game, you're 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 not thinking, well, here comes a draw or a screen or a throw to him. Here's here's the other thing too. Somebody brought this up to me who was there in 2011 said that Bill told the team in 2011 like one of the things we we need you to show up in shape coming out of the lockout, right? Because the way Bill looked at it was you're going to have defensive players who are out of shape and that's going to lead to big plays. And we don't want to be a defense that gives up big plays because we're out of shape. What better way to take advantage of out of shape defensive players than have a 270 pound quarterback running at them. Mm. So there's that part of it too, that I think is an interesting little sidelight. And the last thing I'd say here with, as far as this being good for the Patriots, I just think if you're not spending like the first overall pick at the, on a quarterback, like, you know, Cincinnati did, I just think you have to kind of keep throwing darts at the dartboard. You know, like that's how like the Seahawks wound up with Russell Wilson. I know I've said this to you in the past, Crash, but it's like like they went through Charlie Whitehurst and Matt Flynn before they got to Russell Wilson. Nobody rem- remembers that because they got to Russell Wilson, right? Like the, the Eagles, the year they drafted Carson Wentz, they signed Sam Bradford, they signed Chase Daniel that offseason, overpaid for both of them, right? Why does nobody remember that? <laughs> nobody remembers that because... Carson Wentz wound up becoming a franchise quarterback. So I'm all for that idea. That part of it, too, I think makes sense. You just keep throwing darts at the dartboard. Yeah, and quickly, I think the Patriots also sort of fell uh, bass-ackwards into it as well because they were going to add move elements to the offense with Stidham. I think we would all agree to that. Right Now this allows them to maybe add more elements of what they were going to add, meaning that if you were going to have the zone read and have Stidham be a factor around the goal line, well, what the hell? Forget the forget the zone read part of it. Just have a fullback run it up in there and have Cam run right behind him. You know, it adds elements to yeah. your offense that maybe those guys weren't thinking they were going to be able to add while still protecting Cam at the same time because even the Patriots have to know that if they are counting on him more than maybe we're talking about on the outside and thinking that they're going to count on him, they're going to make sure to protect him as well. Okay. My fourth takeaway, this is, I think this is both good and bad for Jared Stidham. And that sounds like a cop out, but it's bad in the the obvious sense, right? Like where he was going to get all the practice reps and he was going to be prepared to be the starter. And that goes away. Now that said, like the two outcomes here aren't horrible. If he's not ready to play, he won't play, right? And if he is, man, what a confidence boost that would be to beat out Cam Newton going into your first year as an NFL starter. And what would that say to the rest of the team if you were able to beat out Cam Newton? So I think one way or the other, this isn't like a horrible outcome for Jared Stidham. There's bad to it, but I also think there's some good to it. I don't think there's a lot of good to it. And the reason I say that is if they're even Cam's getting the job, if Stidham is only a little bit better, I still think Cam gets the job because yeah, because of experience. Well, there's the experience, but also when you when you think about Bill Belichick and how he's all about asset allocation and all about building his roster, 
if if he thought all I got to do is start this guy to keep him, wouldn't he play Cam over Stidham even if it's close? Because he's got Stidham by the shorties. Stidham ain't going anywhere. Right. Cam might not accept that role. Whereas, you know, to me, I think now Stidham has to be much better than Cam to get the job because of that. Because I admit I'm trying to think – maybe I'm overthinking it, yeah. but I'm trying to think like Belichick there. And the other thing, too, is Stidham now is going to – not only does he – he was trying to replace Brady – now they put another hurdle in front of him to jump over in terms of beating out Cam Newton. And if they thought he was good enough to beat out Cam Newton to begin with, would they have even brought him in? Like, that's right. where I that I can't get that part of it out of my head for Stidham. And and there are some parts of, you know, they, they move. They both move really well. We know Cam's a better runner, all that stuff. I think there are a lot of what they do that the Patriots would ask each of those guys to do in similar skill sets that they have. I just think the allure of Cam Newton more than breaks any tiebreaker and now means that Stidham has to be so good maybe playing with lesser players around him even in the preseason that I think it's going to be – unless Cam stinks, I I don't see any way Stidham wins the job. Here's the element like this. I I think the element that's interesting too is that do they – let me ask you this, Crash. Do you think they have to make a decision quickly? Because time is going to be so limited and because you've only got 16 padded practices under the new CBA and because you're going to have to probably build an offense for one or the other, right? Like, so do you have to make a decision fairly quickly so the other 10 guys in the huddle know who their quarterback is and so Josh McDaniels knows who he's building an offense for? I think in their mind they might know, but I think... I don't think this coaching staff is ever going to tip it off. They're going to keep the players on edge. They're going to work in both guys, I think, and then see if one sort of naturally emerges. But again, it'd be hard to think if everything's equal, that Cam Newton isn't the starter. Now, that said, do they all of a sudden start to poke and prod Cam and realize, hey, he looks good on the outside, but maybe he just ain't right on the inside. That's another part of this that I wonder – is, right. you know, how much might Cam need a little more time to be able to get back to well, be physical and, and from and a I health think standpoint, where is that's a That's a great point, too, Gresh, because this is a guy who's so used to – I remember I've talked to his coaches about this, too. Um, and his coach – by the way, like one thing that should be said, like his coaches, his teammates love him, and that's why I don't think – I don't think him fitting into the culture is going to be that big a deal. I don't think Bill gives a shit if the guy's wearing a funny hat after the game. <laughs> like, I really don't. Like, now, like, you know, they may say if they, if they lose, like, if they lose a game, they might say, dude, leave your hat in the locker. But I don't, like, like, like I don't think he, I don't we think don't he wear, We don't wear hats after we lose here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, but I don't, I don't think he, I like, I like Bill's. Bill's more flexible with that stuff than people realize. And as long as it's not getting in the way of the team winning, and I don't think anything Cam's does is really getting in the way of the team winning. Like, I don't think Bill's going to care about any of that stuff. Yeah. Just don't be mopey and don't bring other people down. And I'm, I'm with you. I think on the whole he would fit initially. I did question that, but the more people that I listened to and in all honesty, I heard Ron Rivera this week talking about how, Hey, I'd never doubt this kid. He's basically ticked off. And I think coaches will be willing to maybe bend a little bit for a guy that they know has great talent and a little bit of that kind of motivation. And I would think Cam has to realize, 
yeah, I'm Cam Newton, but I'm also in a new situation yeah, as well. I, and there's a different standard that Belichick will hold him to. He's a really good team guy. I mean, that's the bottom line. Like, I remember when he was coming out of Auburn, like, I the stories I remember hearing about him, you know, like, area scouts are almost like investigators, so they'll go in there. Like, and the stories you remember hearing about Cam were, like, he would do something nice for the guy who was, like, cleaning up jocks three hours after the game was over, right? And to, and no one ever knew about it because he didn't – and that, that to me is, like, like – that's way better than somebody who shows up at a charity event on a Tuesday, right? Like no the, question. That's, that, that's who the guy really is. Like, 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 how is he acting when no one's watching? And I think Cam's always checked that box in Carolina going back to when he was in college. And I think that's why all of his teammates and his, co- and, and his coaches have always loved him. I did, The point I want to touch on that you brought up, though, I think mentality is going to be really important with Cam, too, because this guy is so used to being a superhero physically. Like, I just think for an athlete – I think it affected Cam the last couple of years. Like, getting hurt affected him the last couple of years. And that, and it's like, we'll keep the Superman analogy going here. It made him mortal. So can he make that second adjustment? If things aren't quite right, like, and he's plenty tough. They're like, we know he's tough. The way he plays, you can't play that way in the NFL and not be tough. But if he is a little less than Superman, how does he adjust to that? And I think that that's a fair question to ask because the guy has been able to sort of flip a switch and be so physically dominant at every level of football. And that will be taken to coaching as well because I would think that, you know, they're probably meaning Belichick and uh, McDaniels. They're not just going to put him out there and be like, all right, go out there and be you. It's no, this is the version of you that we want to run our offense and then hopefully let that stuff sort of come along. Okay, so my fifth takeaway, this is obvious. It's bad for the AFC East. And I'm not saying it's – I'm not saying, like, the Cam is going to be a superstar. But now Bill has options. And now, like, you know, before, if Jared Stidham had gotten to camp – and remember, they haven't seen him at all in the spring. They haven't seen him physically work in the spring – if Jared Stidham, like like for one reason or another, falls on his face in the summer, they have another option now, and that's huge, right? Like that's huge. Like the fact that they've got an experienced option on hand, and, and all respect to Brian Hoyer, I think he's got a valuable place in that quarterback room too. But Cam, Hoyer ain't Cam Newton, you know. So like now, like at the very least, like you know, the the, the outcome is either Cam's Cam and he's starting. Or Jared Stidham's great. Like it's just you've 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 increased the odds that you're going to be okay at that position in the year after Tom Brady, and that was the biggest question coming into the summer for the Patriots. And I like they've got a much better chance of answering that one that that question with a yes than a no than they did a week ago. You know, and Sean McDermott with his time in Carolina, I think, is going to be very aware of Cam Newton and how he has played in the past and what Cam Newton can bring to a football team and I'm with you. This gives the Patriots the edge over the bills. I think there's still a lot of work to be done for the Patriots offensively. And as we kind of talked about, they're going to have to get it done in a short amount of time. But if they morph into the AFC East version of being able to run the ball, like Baltimore, I don't know if there's a defense in the division that is equipped to stop them consistently. I love Buffalo, but I, I like you know this. Gresh, Gresh hates the Bills. Um, I oh, like, I, there's nothing uh, better. Like seriously, Bird, I would have loved to have seen the look on Joe Blow Bills fan, Bills Mafia face 
went across there in their grubby mitts and they look at their dirty cell phone, probably a flip phone, and they're getting an alert on there. And they look and it says Cam Newton to New England. You know, and they, they take that next swig of beer and eat that chicken wing and said, well, it was fun while it lasted. Uh-oh. And then went this back was like work. this was this was the proverbial Sunday night had to be for if you're a fan of one of the other three teams in the division Sunday night had to be like the proverbial Lucy pulling the football away moment for you no doubt about had, it that you've run into so many times as a fan of one of those teams over the last twenty years uh, like I, like I, I love where Buffalo is like I think their defensive core like I don't know if there's a team in the league that has a better young defensive core than what Buffalo has. And Tredavious White, Tremaine Edmonds, Ed Oliver, Matt Milano, like a really, really good, strong defensive core. And most of those guys are 25 or younger. And on offense, like, look, like they add Stephon Diggs to John Brown and Cole Beasley. Dawson Knox, a good young tight end. Devin Singletary, a good uh, young running back. Their offensive line is getting better with guys like Mitch Morris added to the mix and younger guys already there like Dawkins. And so – you look at the the whole like if Josh Allen plays well, that should be a, a good ten or eleven win team. And you know what what's interesting about this is that division has to play the two West divisions, which are both tough, right? That means you're playing the Chiefs. That means you're playing the Chargers. That means you're playing the Niners and the Seahawks and the Rams. And so, is uh, will two teams come out of that division, or is it just one? It's just there's it's going to be a fascinating race, but no doubt about it. Cam Newton winding up in New England is not good for the Bills, Jets, or Dolphins. Yeah, and the Bills in the middle part of their schedule. Patriots, Seahawks at the Cardinals, which isn't easy. Then they play the Chargers at home, and then it's turn around and go back out west and play the 49ers to come home to the Steelers. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty rough go of it come the month of uh, November and December. And I know a lot of people on the outside will poo-poo travel. Talk to a player making two West Coast trips in a month. They hate yep. it. Yeah. Well, at the very least – all of that's gotten a little bit more exciting with the presence of Cam Newton. It gave us a lot to talk about at the end of June, no doubt about it. Gresh, always appreciate you coming out. You're the best, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right, right after this, we're going to get to our special guests. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up as well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James! LeBron James! And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. All right, well, we had hoped to have uh, two, I guess, ex-USC Trojans on together uh, today, both guys with a little different perspective on the big news of the week. Unfortunately, a couple scheduling things happened, and uh, we weren't quite able to make it happen, but we'll get both those guys on just separately. And so our first guest for this week here on the podcast, um, he probably knows Cam as well as almost any teammate that Cam played with um, over his nine years in Carolina. Uh, this guy was there for eight of them. Um, he was his center for, I would say, most of the games that Cam, the great majority of games that Cam started um, in Carolina. Ryan Khalil, welcome in. How you doing, bud? Thanks for having me on. All right. Well, let, let, let's start here. What was, like, I think we all kind of, like, this kind of, like, like it was like a, like, a, like, a, like a comet across the sky on Sunday night. Um, what was your reaction when you first saw the news that Cam was signing with the Patriots? Oh, I think I was excited for him. Uh, relieved, too. I, did, I think most guys that know Cam, most fans of Cam, just most most football fans in general really confused why it taken so long uh, uh, for him to land somewhere. So, um, you know, I, obviously uh, it's an incredible organization. So for him to go there and, and – uh, um, and yeah, just just him uh, getting another chance to to continue his career, and and uh, and I still think he's got a lot of football left in him. I, I think I think most people are just uh, we're we're all kinds of excited and relieved, and and uh, and now looking forward to it. What were you thinking, like when he, you know, obviously he gets you know released at I guess a less than opportune time, a little after free agency started. <laughs> Um, you know, March passes, April passes, May passes. Like, like, what did you think about, like, I guess the NFL as a whole, like not presenting an opportunity to, to a player of that level? Yeah. You know, I, I don't think there's a simple answer for it. I think given the state of the world and everything that's been happening, I, I don't think it's business as usual. So I think a lot of that worked against them. Um, you know, these organizations, they're very hands-on. I mean, you know, I, I hear arguments about, 
people saying it's not a big deal. Scouts can't see players, just look at the film, things like that. But it's, it, there's just a lot that it's just very involved, especially the in-person stuff. So I think for teams to not be able to see Cam, you know, the big question mark for him has been his health. It's, it's one of the reasons why I think the Panthers moved on is because they're, they're looking to start young and start over and start fresh. And, and, uh, and, you know, obviously Cam has had an incredible career in Carolina um, but I think for them, uh, it, it's, it's the, the not being able to finish out the season, um, and, and having a couple, uh, bumps there health wise where he, he hasn't been able to finish out, uh, was sort of the inciting thing that made them move forward. And so I think that gives question to, uh, a lot of other organizations that are looking and saying, okay, well, what do the Panthers know that we don't, obviously we can see his home videos, uh, of him throwing and running and all that stuff. Uh, so I think that component of it, of not being able to, to get him in there and, and, uh, uh, and, and put him through the ringer and, and see how he is physically was, was probably a big reason for uh, that big delay. All right, let's go back to the start of his career because I think like, there's been this perception of Cam that's been shaped you know, over, over a decade now. Um, and there was that perception of him when he was coming out of Auburn after winning the Heisman Trophy. You were already an established veteran um, when Cam got there. How did the perception match up with the reality of who Cam is? Um, well, the the early the, the the perceptions have changed over time, and yeah. everybody sort of likes to. Uh, uh, when I say everybody, I, mostly media, uh, has had their, uh, their share of different versions of their perception of cam. Uh, the one, the perception I remember from when he first got there was nothing character related, uh, nothing, uh, really, uh, physically football related, but everything was mental. Everything was, I remember everything, all the pundits sort of saying, How's Cam going to uh, adapt to an NFL-style offense when at Auburn, you know, their play calling consisted of putting pictures up on the sidelines and numbers? And it was like this idea that it was so simplistic and so simple for uh, what they did there that he was never – it was never going to translate for him. He was just going to have – he was going to be a mental head case because it was just going to be too much. And and obviously that couldn't be further from the truth. And then the other perception was – you know, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't a, um, uh, he wasn't a, 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 a typical style quarterback. He wasn't, he wasn't the, the pocket guy that the NFL had sort of, uh, you know, made their money on and, and, and the kind of quarterbacks that they promoted over time. He was, you know, he was a running style quarterback. He was a Michael Vick kind of guy. Um, and that couldn't have been further from the truth. And I think, you know, people forget when Cam first came in the league, um, you know, in the defense of being a pocket uh, quarterback and a pocket passer, he broke all kinds of passing records uh, and records that uh, Peyton Manning held his rookie season. So I, I think he I think he put that to bed pretty quick and because I think most people forget that because all the stuff you see on cam are the ESPN highlights, him doing all the acrobat stuff, running, juking, spinning, jumping over guys. Um, and that's, and, and that's for sure a big part of his game. But um, I think he's somebody who's take, who takes pride in and has also had success in, in being a, a, 
a pocket quarterback. Do you, how quickly did you guys know what you had in Cam? Was it pretty fast? I mean, I, I guess like physically, just look at him, right? Like that's part of the equation. But did you guys know pretty quickly, like how good he could be? I mean, we, the first year he got there, I mean, it was pretty amazing. And, and, and we were putting points up against teams. You know, as far as the game management of it all, he wasn't quite there yet, experience wise. Um, and we didn't really defensively, it wasn't one of our stronger seasons. So, you know, we, we were kind of middle of the road team when he first got there, but I, I just remember thinking there was a spark here and an excitement here that we, that I had been a part of yet uh, at the pro level. And, and that I don't think the Panthers had either in that sense of uh, the quarterback position. Um, that was incredibly exciting. Uh, that I think the team rallied around pretty quickly. Um, you know, as far as like the personality stuff, obviously that evolved with success, but it never really, he, on the outset it changed, but on the inside in the locker room, it never did. And Cam has always been somebody who has had a tremendous amount of respect from his teammates. And I think that stems from his work ethic. He's an incredible worker. Um, and, and his heart, I mean, he cares tremendously about, uh, uh, about, uh, doing his part. Uh, I mean, you saw early in his career, he got a lot of, uh, he got a lot of criticism for how he handled losses, but it just ate him up. And that's something that he got better at and evolved with. And he still struggled to, you know, even us older guys would come to him and try to, you know, uh, talk to him about how to handle his composure after bad losses. And he just couldn't wrap his head around the idea of accepting losing. And, and so it took him a while to understand it wasn't about that. It just was more about, uh, you know, uh, how you control the emotions that it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean be okay or accept losing. Um, and so those are things that evolved, but again, to your point, those kinds of things were things that got blown up. I think more unfairly than, than other quarterbacks around the league. So he was like sort of like living in a fishbowl then to some degree. Say that again? So he was sort of like living in a fishbowl almost to some degree is like what you're saying, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think he'd be the first person to tell you too some of that he brought on himself just because, you know, if you to, – to sort of be loud and dress loud, some of that stuff is going to be heightened. But I, I don't – none of it matches who the, who the person is behind all that. Um, and I think, you know, he's the kind of guy that – uh, uh, he doesn't, you, I, I have a, t a ton of respect for him because he doesn't care what people think. He honestly doesn't except for the guys in the locker room and except for his coaches. And so that's always been important to him. And I think that's why, um, uh, I think that's why a lot of guys will go to bat for him that have played with him and know him. Um, uh, and, and yeah, just obviously couldn't be more excited for him. So what kind of like, cause you always hear that though. Like, I, I feel like, like, I don't know, like the, the guys who've played with him, the guys who've coached him, they all like really genuinely like him. And it's just, it seems like that goes even back to like when he was in college. So like, what sort of teammate is he? I mean, he makes it fun. He, he's someone who, uh, he loves to, he loves to come to work every day. He shows up and, and, uh, and he wants to, you know, the, the energy he brings, the excitement he brings, it's his own style and, and it's contagious. Um, it doesn't always mesh with old school styles. Um, and, and, uh, and that's fine too, but it's at the end of the day, he, 
he's he's fun to be around. He cares. He's 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 got a contagious energy. Um, and again, like I said, I think the work ethic part is incredibly important because you know I I know I've known a lot of guys who are good players, but um, but it wasn't overly important to him. And this is a guy that it's not a nine to five. He I mean he'll be in there uh, day in and day out. Uh, from my understanding, I know that's going to be important to Belichick, and and uh, uh, and I got to imagine he he got that intel from somebody. Like so, obviously, like you were around for a lot of great a lot of great moments with Cam. Two thousand fifteen is the one I kind of like look at is like you guys got so close, and you know, obviously, I think you guys started what thirteen and zero or fourteen and zero that year, uh-huh. um, and it seemed like that. And I remember being around that team, Ryan, and I, I just sort of remember that being like maybe as close to a team as I've ever seen in the NFL. Uh-huh. Um, were there wow moments even for you guys, like some of the stuff that Cam was doing during that MVP year? And if if there's one or two that stick out, what would they be? Um, you know, listen, as an offense lineman, you, <laughs> yeah. uh, you try to do your best and, and keeping your quarterback clean in the pocket and, uh, and it doesn't always go to plan. And there's a lot of really good guys that you have to play against on the other side. Um, and I'll be the first to tell you, I've, I've mistakes were made on my part where didn't quite, uh, hunker down or, or block a guy as long as I should have. I think the stuff that I was always amazed with was his ability to get out of a pretty sticky situation that uh, a lot of times we put him in. Um, uh, I know he saved he saved my butt once or twice, uh, especially during that season, uh, and and not only escaped it but turned them into huge plays. Um, so I want to say maybe maybe it was against New England that he had the one where he it was like a video game and he he dodged like 10 tackles and then turned it into like a 40 yard gain or something crazy like that um so yeah i think i think uh i think his ability a lot of times to to uh to sit in the pocket make plays but also extend a play when when things go bad uh were always pretty incredible to watch so that might have been the monday night game like the ice up sun game yeah, maybe. I mean, he did it. He <laughs> yeah. did it against so many teams. That they all kind of start meshing together. How do you think he'll fit into a new environment? You know, you know the guy. You've been around the guy a lot. Like, and this is the first time that he's had to do that. Like since he was a rookie. You know, so how do you like just knowing who he is and how he is? How do you think he'll? You know, forget that it's the Patriots. Just meld into a new environment and try to ingratiate himself to new teammates because obviously that stuff especially this year given like the circumstances and everything else a lot of that stuff's going to happen have to happen pretty fast yeah you know i think uh as somebody who just did it last year uh you know i played i played 12 seasons in carolina and then and then decided to try a different spot in the jets last year and and it's tough it's really tough uh you know you you take for granted the relationships you build over time especially in a franchise um, that, you know, uh, you've been around the same people forever, not just players or coaches, but, you know, training staff, equipment guys, um, you know, you take for granted <clears throat> the, the trust that you've built and the relationships you build over time. So, you know, for any new guy, it's a lot of time you're spending trying to re-earn that respect that you spent, especially for a guy that's played a long time. 
um, uh, and that trust again. Um, and, and also the, the shorthand too, that you have with so many people, you know, mm -hmm. uh, all that stuff goes a long ways. And, and, um, uh, and, and so I, I do, I do think it's, there's going to be some growing pains, uh, in that department just because it's going to be such a short, uh, off season, if, if any, you know what I mean? It's going to be, it's going to be right into it. But I, I will tell you, he's got experience doing it. His first season was actually the lockout year. Oh, and, right. Yeah. Uh, and I just remember I didn't meet, I didn't meet Cam Newton until training camp. So, uh, uh, and you know, we, he got the playbook. We all got the playbook, but we all had new coordinators. Uh, there was a huge, huge learning curve for us. I mean, we hit the ground running. It, it was exhausting because, there was no time to, to really get to know anybody or play catch up or anything. I mean, we were, we were going, the season was taken down. So I will say he, he's got a, he's got some experience doing it. Do you think he's gonna be motivated by the fact that he did sit out there for three months available and like anybody could have gotten him and it like, like the league basically had like, and I don't want to say shut him out, but I mean like, you know, he was looking for a job for three months. Like, do you think that like just that, part of it will will motivate cam in any way no i don't think so i think i think had he signed day after uh uh day after leaving carolina or being traded from carolina or a year later i think it all stems and I, I think the motivation remains the same i i do think he'll be highly motivated this year um uh, but I don't, I don't know if, if the waiting game, and again, I think just because of the COVID of it all really right. kind of shook things up. Uh, I don't think there's any one sort of layer to, to, to the motivation. So you think it's more like yeah, how competitive he is then? Like just the, the, the general competitiveness, the, the whole thing you said about how much he hates losing all of that. Like it's more of that than like showing anybody else that they were wrong. Yeah, listen, I th I think he wants to win. I think he I think he uh would love to get back to a, a place that he's been in before of of winning and playing well. I think I think injuries have have uh uh you know, put some speed bumps in that path and then and then obviously the transition of of a new era in Carolina. Um so I you know, look, I I think I, I still think Cam's got some good football in him. I think uh, I think definitely there's going to be some growing pains given the short period of time he's going to have in learning the offense and, and his new team, um, and everybody's sort of filling each other out and getting to understand, uh, you know, uh, new teammates, new 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 uh, new facility, new new whole organization, but. Um, yeah, I think I think he's he's the kind of guy that that revels in that uh, kind pretty, of pressure, and I think he'll do well. You're pretty excited to see how it turns out. I mean, just the idea of Cam in New England. Yeah, I mean, I listen. I I I've only I've only rooted for New England guys, never <laughs> for the team. So it's going to be a weird situation for me. You know, uh, <laughs> obviously Castle's my guy. Uh, you know, root for him for. Uh, uh, for all the years he was there. And then, and then, uh, and then, you know, I went to high school with Matt Slater, who's one of oh, my wow. friends. So, okay. um, uh, and, and you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't find a better guy than Matt Slater. So, um, uh, but yeah, I, I remember texting Matt about him and we talked a lot and, and, uh, I'm excited for, 
uh, for those guys to meet. But so yeah, this will be the this will be the second Patriot guy or third Patriot guy that uh, that I'm going to root for. But you can't root for the team. You just have to root. I, for the I just can't. <laughs> I got. I have a hard time doing it. But we'll see. We'll see how it. We'll see how it plays out. All right, that's former Jets and Panthers center and eight-year teammate of Cam Newton, Ryan Khalil. Ryan, thanks so much for coming out. All right, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. And as promised now, we're going to bring in Ryan's old USC teammate, uh, Matt Castle, a good buddy of mine, did, did TV with him last year. Hopefully we'll be doing TV again in the fall. I'm not sure what any of that's going to look like. Um, but he's going to give us some insight on, I, I think, like playing quarterback in New England, what it'll mean for Cam and all of that. So, Matt, welcome in. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. A lot of Cam Newton talk, huh? Yeah, no question. No question. Well, let's start there. Like, like I, I, I did the same thing with Ryan. Like, you know, that comic comes across the sky on Sunday night. Like, when you see that news, what's the first thing that you kind of think of when, when you saw that Cam Newton's going to be a Patriot? You know what? I was pretty excited about it, to be honestly, for the Patriots organization. Obviously, we have Jared Stenham, you have Brian Hoyer, but to bring a guy like Cam Newton and the dynamic player that he is into the program, it, it energizes a team. And it also brings a guy that just a few years past was an MVP guy, you know, a player that's going to come in and his skill set, if he's healthy, which it seems like he is, and he's motivated, could mean a lot of great things for this offense. Okay, so... I, I want to go back like in your, in your career to 2007. And the reason I'm going back there is because I, I feel like a lot of the questions we're hearing on Cam are the same questions we heard on Randy Moss, right? Like, so Randy right. Moss comes in, he'd been so dynamic, but kind of a flamboyant personality and had put himself out there a lot. And I remember like back then, like the question was maybe even more so about like, you know, it was like, how much does Randy have left? But it was also how is Randy Moss going to fit into the Patriots program that had been known as so buttoned up and everything else? And so I'm wondering if you think that like what maybe you saw in 2007, how Bill like sort of integrated Randy and who he was in the program, how Randy conducted himself, right. like how much of that may apply now to integrating Cam into, into New England? Well, I think that there's no organization, there's no coaching staff that does a better job of utilizing a player's strengths. Mm -hmm. And so even when Randy first came in, he was excited to be there. He knew that this was a winning organization. He had a chance to win Super Bowls. And that's kind of as a veteran player and a guy that had been around the league and been on a lot of bad teams, he had that opportunity. So as soon as he got there, he took a, he took the mentality that he's going to come in, he's going to work, he's going to do those things. At the same time, Josh McDaniels did a great job. You know, his route tree – wasn't this extensive route tree and we didn't make him do a ton of different things but he ran a great stop route which is basically you're running the defender off to nine yards you turn around you're getting the ball put on your outside shoulder he ran a ton of slant routes obviously the deep balls the in cut so they, that's what he did really well and within that structure they they put him in a position to be successful and then we also obviously had the other guys that year with Welker Dante Stallworth or Shea Codwell all these different different players that you know what they couldn't just single a single I mean double Randy the entire time so it allowed him to get those one-on-one -on -one opportunities okay so I want to get to the football stuff but first I want to ask about the personality thing like how do you think how does that play sort of kind of you know bring like like somebody who's got a big personality like that how does that play sort of absorb that and like you know you've seen how like you know you, you've seen who Cam is and right. like how do you think Cam fits into that building 
Well, I think that they have to accept Cam for who he is. Obviously, they have to understand that he has a flamboyant personality and he's a guy that's going to come and lead in a different way, in a different manner than what Tom Brady did. And Brady obviously leads in a certain way. And a lot of what I learned from him and how to conduct myself in the media and all that stuff, it also stemmed from Bill Belichick and also Brady. At the same time, there are going to be some probably growing pains in that circumstance where, you know, Cam's going to have to learn like, hey, they don't conduct themselves. They don't talk about other players' injuries. They don't, you don't talk about yourself. You don't compare yourself. And so that'll be a big adjustment for him. And at the same time, I know that he's motivated to come in and have success and be a guy that contributes because really, you know, he's playing for his next deal is what he's doing on this, on this particular deal. He's on a one-year deal. And the fact of the matter is, I mean, he's got one year to prove himself and go in and be a dominant player. And so I think he's going to do everything that he can to get in line with the Patriots way and what Bill's asking him. And Bill's probably telling him, look, you do it our way and you do the things that we need you to do and you be the leader that we want you to do. Well, it's going to pay off in the end. I want to run this by you because I said it a little earlier in the podcast and I want to see if you agree with this. I, I you know, like the celebrations that like, I don't think like, I may be wrong about this. I don't think Bill really cares about that. Like I, like right. maybe like, I think as long as it doesn't get in the way of the right. team winning, like I don't know that. Like I never really got the sense that Bill cared all that much if a guy celebrates mm. or if a guy wears a funny hat to the post game press conference. Right. Am yeah. I am I wrong there, or like is that is 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 that was that your experience there? No, I think that's one hundred percent accurate. I I believe that the biggest issues that Bill has is when it becomes a distraction to the team. It's something that you said. It's something that you made a comment that we're gonna dominate this team or you you're, you go out in the media and you talk about your injuries or talk about another player's injuries or make predictions he does not like it he hates it when people make predictions however the celebration the antics on the field where you go out and you're having fun that's what he actually preaches he tells us there was one time i remember when we were going through um the course of a season and he's like we made a great tackle for loss and nobody was celebrating on the defense side of the ball and he put it up on the team meeting room and he said guys we're playing football. There should be, uh, you know, 10 other hats over there celebrating that you're playing and you're, you're, you're enjoying this game that we get to play as adults. And so I think he welcomes that. And it's something that I don't believe he'll have any problems whatsoever of letting Cam be himself on the field and celebrate and do his Superman thing. As long as it doesn't become a distraction on the outside of the building and some of the comments that he makes, or it, it takes away from what they're trying to achieve inside that building. Okay. So for like, now I want to talk about the football stuff. Like what was your experience? Like how much, when, when you get thrown in there in, um, you know, going into week two, I guess really right. in 2008, like how much flexibility in the offense was there? Cause I know you and Tom weren't exactly the same as players. So right. like how much did the offense really change and how much does the offense itself have like the ability to sort of morph to what the quarterback who's in there does well. Right. Well, in my circumstance, a great, great example of this was when we would go like the two minute drill, we used to go two by two with Tom two by two to three by one formations, which means you had two receivers on one side, two receivers on the other, and two by two, three by one is three receivers on one side, one receiver on the back side. However, I was more comfortable in the three by one formation. I just thought I saw the field better. I, I liked the route concept. So we, we immediately switched right off the bat. Josh McDaniels did as I started to play and go into the two minute. We're just going to go three by one to three by one. So it's slight adjustments like that. Then as we started to get going, you know, obviously those first few weeks, a lot of slip screens, 
<clears throat> excuse me, get my confidence going, some boots, those kind of things. But as we moved on in the season and progressed, we naturally started my, my maturation process within the system and playing more allowed me to grow. And then we kind of became that same system that we had been in the past with Tom. I, I think you had like, you can like, could you be, you, you probably were beating Tom in races pretty bad. Like if, if you two had raced at that point, you probably would have beat him pretty bad, right? I would crush him. Are you kidding me? All right. I mean, so he's did, never been the most fleet of foot. <laughs> did they, you did, did, did Josh find a way to use like your athletics? And I'm not talking about broken plays, but like, right. did Josh find a way to use your athleticism in a way that maybe wouldn't have been to Tom's strength? There's no doubt. We definitely integrated more boots and get outside the pocket, roll out, sprint outs, those kind of plays that would get me outside the pocket and utilize one of my strengths at that point in my career was being able to move a little bit and have a little bit um, more speed and those kind of things. So we definitely did that. And another great example of that was when Jacoby Brissett came in and he played in that game against the Colts on a short week. And you saw that they were doing the RPOs and he had a great run down the sideline, I believe for a touchdown, I I think. And so that was just another example of Josh McDaniels, the adaptation that he makes throughout the course of a week to a player's strengths and knows, look, we can take advantage of this, this guy's strengths and utilize it by going out and changing and making subtle adjustments within the game plan. How long do you think, like, do you think that that, 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 is that something they can do on a dime? Like, you know what Cam, Cam has been playing, like, like a lot of read option stuff, a lot of, you know, like you said, a lot of rollout stuff. Um, he's made a lot of plays, obviously, uh, right. scramble drill too. Is that a pretty easy adjustment in your mind for, for Josh and for Bill to make the offense work for Cam? Well, I think that it's going to take a little bit of time on task, you know, and yeah. I think it's also going to be have to have that open discussion with him and because there's going to be plays and RPOs that he's been doing since college that he's more probably familiar with than maybe even a Josh McDaniels who hasn't run that type of offensive structure for a long time or ever. And so it's going to be going out and communicating with other coaches and understanding the zone read game and why they're doing those kind of things. At the same time, Cam Newton doesn't get enough credit. He's also a very good pocket passer. I mean, he can fire the ball. He's got as good as arm as anybody in the league. And I always remember watching him sitting there on the side and going, how did he just make that throw 40 yards downfield, like on, a, on an outcut, like deep, deep, you know, post quarter route. So he can stay in the pocket if you want him to. At the same time, you have to be able to utilize some of those strengths that he has because it just you can dictate the pace to the defensive side of the ball offensively and they can't cheat that way and you get so many easy plays and easy five-yard scrambles or runs off of those rpos where you don't block one individual and then he's not in his gap and they're not gap sound and you make the cutback and it just opens things up and it allows for so much flexibility within that offensive structure well you've mentioned like like you mentioned like what they did for randy right like what they did for you like, do you think like there's like a part of this that like I don't excites Bill, you know, and excites Josh? Like that, all right. Like now we got to figure out a totally different way to do it. And where I mean, I think they've, they, I mean, they're obviously different defensively than they were ten or fifteen years ago, and they've right. sort of changed back and forth, and they've done a lot of. Di- but because Tom's been the quarterback forever, they really haven't gone through that sort of evolution offensively they've tweaked they've changed some things they've obviously kind of adapted to the times really well but we haven't seen the sort of morph into something completely different on offense like maybe we have a couple times on defense do you think there's part of this that really kind of like gets bill and josh going where like now they're like really like not that they weren't before but like 
they're really chomping at the bit to get going because this is this is something that's going to be totally different than what they've done. Right, and the, the, it adds so much strength and strength and opportunity to that offense because of the fact that look, when we watched New England for the past however long, you have to absolutely take into account the receivers and this, but you never take into Tom running the ball or doing anything like that. Well, defenses now have to prepare for the running quarterback, the the options, the bootlegs, the the screens that go with it, and so you can't cue in on oh well, well if we just lock down this guy and that guy like last year we were saying if Julian gets hurt they're in trouble, but right. th- there's another athlete back there now that is going to create a lot more options for them offensively. So if they go into a game and they see a weakness uh, at the defensive end position or the outside linebacker, they can absolutely go after that guy with some of these different designed runs and everything else that Cam Newton presents for, for you and for your offense. All right. So I'll put you on the spot now. Does it work? I think they make it work. Absolutely. I, I do. I think Josh McDaniel is a brilliant offensive play caller. Uh, he's done it throughout his career where he's had guys that have had to step in and he's everybody that's played within that system for the most part has had a tremendous amount of success. And I believe that they can do the same thing for Cam Newton. At the same time, I do believe that there are a lot of elements that go into this and being successful and making it work because there hasn't been an off season and you, who knows what's going to happen with training camp and everything else going on with this crazy pandemic. And, and when you get in there, because there's a lot of nuances to this offense too, and how the, they put a lot of responsibility on the quarterback to put them in the right protection calls, to make the run calls, to do all those. Is he ready to do that? And can he get it caught up to speed so quickly? Because look, the other guys have been there and been in that system for a long time. Whereas Cam's showing up and he's going to start over from day one, and there's a lot to learn in a small period of time. You know what's interesting though, like, like, and we'll we'll wrap it up here. Like, what's interesting to me is like there are two things. Like, right, like, so one, you probably want to be a little simpler this year, and Cam right. may give you the ability to do that with the run game, right? Like, you can do like a little bit more and be simpler offensively and still effective uh, right. because of what he brings in the run game, and then two. I heard this story about how Bill told uh, his team in 2011, we need to be in shape because a lot of teams won't be coming out of the lockout. Right. right. And it was, and, and the whole idea was like the teams that are out of shape are going to give up a ton of big plays on defense. It's going to be a problem across the league. And you know, this one guy who was there that year said to me, like what better weapon to have if you're going to be dealing with defenses that might be susceptible to being worn out a little bit, then a 270 pound quarterback, you can run them. He looks like Derrick Henry running the ball. I mean, you've got another guy like that in your backfield that, like you said, presents a problem. And I remember I, I'll go back to 2007. I mean, 11, when I was coming out of the lockout and we were in Kansas city, we started that year. Oh, and three getting exactly what you said. We were not, at, we were not in shape. We got drummed the first three games and finally we got our bearings and we started to win. We went five, we won five in a row, but to start the season, it's going to be really, really important that you're in shape. And Cam Newton is obviously a guy that's motivated, ready to go. And you can simplify the offense and just say, hey, look, we're going to run the ball. We're going to do some RPOs and we're going to make a simplified passing attack. And that should be good if we stay in shape and we play good defense and, and put ourselves in a good position to stay, stay ahead in situational football. All right. Should be fun to watch. Appreciate you, buddy. Uh, thanks for coming out. And uh, Absolutely, man. And I still don't think like, I, like so 
Matt's like super against like social media. So I would be telling everybody where to catch up with him on social media. Now you did get an Instagram, right? So they can follow no, you there. I don't have anything yet. I'm going to get something. I promise you. I'm going to get, right. uh, I want a Twitter. That's what I want. I want Twitter. All right. You're on the clock, Matt. All right. You got it, brother. Uh, all right, bud. See you soon. See you, bud. All right. Thanks to Khalil. Thanks to Castle. That was fantastic. We appreciate them coming out. I hope you enjoyed all of the Cam Newton content. We wanted to do something a little different for you. My last show before vacation, give you guys something to sort of chew on with big news story of the week. Um, One that I don't think we were expecting this week. So there you have it. We'll jump into the six pack. Now you guys know how the six pack works ever since the pandemic hit. We've been doing this a little bit differently I rolled it back. No more emails, no more voicemails to what we used to do. I put the call out for questions on Twitter on Tuesday. You ask if I like your question and I want to answer your question. I give it a like on Twitter. That means I hit that little heart there and you get an answer right here on the podcast. Question number one from SAS. That's at WCBSAS. Any thoughts on what the taxi squad may look like? SAS. That's a great question. I think the practice squads are going to be bigger. Um, there has been discussion of upping the number to 16. And the reason why you do this in this situation is in the case you have an outbreak on your team. And so let's say 10 guys are affected. Let's say 12 guys are affected. The NFL actually has uh, a contagious disease policy on the books already that would allow for some more flexibility as to bringing guys up off the practice squad. But with the with – the, uh, the contagious nature of COVID because of, you know, what we've seen across the country, how quickly this can spread. Certainly there's a concern where two cases can become 12 in a hurry. And so you need more people in your building ready to go for two reasons. Number one, this happens on a Friday or a Saturday. It really would help to have guys who've been part of your practice week, who know your scheme, et cetera, et cetera. And number two, you need guys who've been through the testing protocol And I don't know how difficult it would be to find available players on a Friday or Saturday if you had an outbreak, but I don't think it would be easy. And so you want to give some teams some more flexibility on their roster to bring guys up and down. And, you know, you want to have numbers there because if it does affect a third of your roster, you're going to need guys who are ready to go and you're going to need guys who've been through the testing protocol and, and that, you know, if, if you are facing something like this, having those sorts of numbers is going to help the quality of the game because you're going to have more guys who are prepared to play. And it's also going to help you avoid some sort of fiasco where you can't get guys tested quick enough. Question number two from CL57. That's at Clarky 57 Over under on wins for the Pats and the Bucks. Very interesting question, Clarky. And my numbers here might be a little lower than you think. I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with nine and a half for the Patriots, and I'm going to go with 10 for the Buccaneers. The real reason why isn't so much about the rosters, the teams. It's about the situations they're in and the schedules they're facing. The Patriots' schedule, it's a first-place schedule, so that means out of the AFC North, they face Baltimore. Out of the AFC South, they face uh, the Houston Texans. On top of all of that, they faced the AFC West and they faced the NFC West. That's a tough situation to be in. 
Um, the Buccaneers, in addition to being a very difficult division with the Saints there, with the Falcons there, the Panthers are rebuilding. They're also facing the AFC West and the NFC North, which you know means you're facing the Chiefs. It means you're facing the the Chargers. It means you're facing a Raiders team I think will be better, a Broncos team I think will be better. And then, of course, the Lions and the Bears and the Packers and the Vikings. And so I think both teams are facing a difficult difficult schedule. I think both teams you know, have a uphill climb to make the playoffs. So I'm going to put the Patriots at 9.5 over under and put the Bucks at 10. Question number three from New York Brett. That's at New York Brett. How much does Jamal, does Jamal Adams' contract play a factor in his trade value? Assuming he had one year left on his deal, he might be cheaper. So how much more expensive is it to trade for somebody who has two years left on a rookie deal? It is more expensive to trade for a guy who's got two years left on his rookie deal, no question. I also think it makes it more difficult for the teams who are trading for him um, because you're facing one of two scenarios here, okay? The first scenario is you pay him. And it sounds right now that the only thing he's going to be willing to sign is something that's going to be an absolute market-busting contract for a safety. If he was willing to sign a run-of-the-mill, top-of-the-market safety deal between $14 and $15 million per year, I, I don't think that would be so tough for teams to swallow on top of the draft capital. But when you're, you're talking about potentially signing him to a deal that just completely blows the market out of the water at the safety position, plus giving up a first-round pick, plus something else, I like that's a lot to ask. The second scenario is that you trade for him and you don't sign him. And that puts you in the situation the Rams have been in with Jalen Ramsey, who remains unsigned. That puts you in the situation the Texans were in with Laramie Tunsil, who got $22 million a year, which is about $5 million per above the previous market for left tackles. So in both the Ramsey trade and the Tunsil trade, those players, by virtue of what they were traded for, wound up with a boatload of leverage against their teams. And again, one of those players remains unsigned. The other player wound up just completely busting the market at his position. So if you're trading for Adams, the contract itself is a major, major thing. And I think that's one thing that may prevent a deal from happening, even if the Jets wanted it to happen, which I don't think they do right now, is it's not just the draft capital. It's either you're signing him to a market-breaking deal or – you're handing him a ton of leverage. Question number four from Tyler Schmidt. That's at TeachGeek90. What's the over-under on how many weeks of the regular season uh, the NFL is able to play this season? I'm going to set the over-under at 15. Um, they have it built into their schedule where they could go down to 14 if they wanted to. Um, it's pretty easy to collapse the schedule to 14 games. Um, you know, I also think that if they have to move the schedule back, um, there's no question they can do that because they've got flexibility with the Super Bowl. Some teams even want, and I've said this a few times now, some teams even want the league to just on its own move the schedule back. So I think the league's determined to play a 16-game schedule. A, I, I think it's possible. You, you know, there's a scenario that you know pops up or there are issues that lead the schedule to being truncated to 14 games, but I think they're determined to play as many games as they can. And I think you get a 16-game season. Just to be safe here, I'll say the over-under is 15 because I think it's either 14 or 16. But I would, my, my guess is it's going to be 16. Question number five from Michael Dunn. That's at Mikey WM Free. Kneeling for the National Anthem in an empty stadium without angry fans, booing lessens the optics of it all. 
Don't you agree? That's making NFL's NFL's Goodell's sudden Black Lives Matter stance, whatever the players want, a relatively empty gesture. I do not think that. I, I like I, I the way I look at the, the way that Goodell's handled this, Michael. He was forced into a corner, pushed into a corner by the players. That video basically forced Roger Goodell to pick a side, and they it, the brilliance of the video, and I've said this a few times, is. It's not complaining. It's not getting upset. It's basically giving Roger a solution. And in giving Roger that solution, if Roger was going to take that solution and use that solution, he was necessarily going to take the player's side. And so the players, by doing that, drew a line in the sand. If you stay silent, if you don't do anything, you're not on our side. If you tell, if you, if, if you read the statement we gave you, then you are on our side. So I don't think it's an empty gesture. I think it's a I think what Roger and the NFL did was a strong endorsement of the players. And now Roger can't back down. Roger cannot back off of his stance because I, like at that point if he were to all of a sudden reverse course and now advocate for, you know, putting in a new anthem policy or whatever, he would lose any ounce of credibility he's got with the players. And so he can't do that and continue in his job. And so I think because of that, it's not an empty gesture. I think there's a lot of strength in the gesture. And I think even in an empty stadium, I I think you're still going to see the kneeling. And I think even if the television networks don't show it, um, the media that's on hand, whatever number of media that is, will cover it. And so I think there will be some power in it. And it'll give the players a chance to talk about these things, which is sort of the idea of the whole thing anyway. Question number six, last question of the week from Jonathan Green at Blaze NYC. If Saquon has a great year, do you think it's crazy for the Giants to strongly consider trading him before he quietly seeks insane money? We can't pay a running back $16 million a year. Jonathan, it is a fascinating question. If Saquon has a great year, no question about it, he's going to be fighting for a new contract, and he should. Every running back should get paid at the earliest juncture they possibly can, which under NFL rules is after three years. We saw Zeke Elliott conduct was basically a wildcat strike, and he wound up getting a contract. We saw Christian McCaffrey get paid this offseason. The running backs have to get paid as soon as they possibly can. Um, and I think Saquon, if I'm Saquon and I have a great year, I'm doing everything I can to get my second contract next off season. And this stands to be the first real like mega extension of the, of the Joe judge era. And I think one of the things that may push the giants to do it is because he's the right kind of guy, because I think he'll be a program guy for Joe, because I think that he's going to do a lot of the right things for Joe and I think, you know, part of the whole program that Joe's trying to set up there is you reward the people who do the right thing. You send messages with who you pay, you send messages and who you draft. I think a big part of that, you know, was reflected in this year's draft. I mean, if you look at the guys the Giants drafted, guys like Andrew Thomas from Georgia, Xavier McKinney from from Alabama, like team captain types, like the type of guys that you that you want to build around as people. And so I think, you know, there's obviously there's, you know, a lot of 
a lot of problems with the idea of paying a running back and what it could mean when a back goes into his fifth or sixth year. That said, this is a great, great player, the same way Zeke Elliott's a great, great player, the same way Christian McCaffrey's a great, great player. And is there a risk that this winds up playing out like, you know, Todd Gurley played out in L.A.? Sure, sure. You know, but if you if you ask Sean McVay, I think he'd tell you it was still worth doing what they did with Gurley because Gurley was the right kind of guy, and Gurley was somebody they built around, somebody who helped their young quarterback, um, you know, kind of grow into the offense, and somebody who helped them get to a Super Bowl. And so, again, like I, I understand like the whole premise of not paying a running back, and I agree that you need to be really, really careful, you know. And I mean, like, look, we'll see what happens with the Bengals and Joe Mixon and the Vikings and Dalvin Cook and the Saints and Alvin Kamara. Um, but, you know, I don't think you can just look at these guys just like, I know you want to look at everything very coldly. I just think in, you you have to kind of take into consideration how you're building your program, the kind of people you want to build your program around, the contributions guys make to teams. Not saying you're giving them back pay, but just kind of the contributions guys make to team teams and what they mean to your locker room. So, um I understand your question, Jonathan. It's a, it's a good one. It's an interesting one. Uh, but I think if Saquon has an awesome year and it means much to Daniel Jones's development and he's an important piece of building the locker room, I think the Giants consider paying him. Appreciate you guys coming out, as always. We've gone every week here, I think, going back to last, what is that, like end of July, beginning of August last year, right around the beginning of training camp. Um, it's been a great run. We've got a couple of great special shows. We've got long-form interviews with some prominent figures in the NFL coming for you over the next couple of weeks. I'm excited for you guys to listen to that while I'm on vacation on Nantucket, but I always appreciate the support you guys have shown the podcast. And again, we're going to be resetting again after this. When I come back from vacation, we're going to be into training camp. We're going to help guide you through a very uncertain time in our country, a very uncertain time in the football world. It's going to be interesting, and we want you guys there with us, and we want to make this your show. And so your feedback's always welcome. You know how to get to us. You know how to get to me personally. and get to me on Twitter, at Albert Breer, on Facebook, at Albert R. Breer, on Instagram, at Albert underscore Breer. You guys can also get Jenny Ann Connors' Week Side Podcast. You can get Gary's Monday Morning Podcast. You can get our Week in Review Podcast. We're all under one banner now, the MMQB NFL Podcast which you can download and subscribe on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows. Same time next week. I won't be here live, but I've got something pretty good for you. See you guys then. Storm and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. 
I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.